0: Welcome back to the Engaged Prospect Podcast. This is Dan Hirsch, founder and president of Engaged Prospect. Today, I'm sitting with Jeff Bajorek. Jeff is a writer, speaker, and he leads uh, sales workshops and training programs all over the place. Jeff, your book, The Five Forgotten Fundamentals of Prospecting, is what we've been talking about a little bit over a few calls leading up to today. Welcome aboard, and I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you about it.
1: Well, thanks for asking me, Dan. This is, uh, you know, we connected uh, a little while ago and you asked me to come on board and I enjoy having conversations with people who like talking about selling. It's, I'm kind of a nerd that way. The, the sales process fascinates me. The way people talk about what they do fascinates me. And uh, anytime I get a chance to talk with someone like you and we get to press record and save it for later so that other people can listen, uh, I just, I, uh, that's a lot of fun. So thanks for, thanks for having me on
0: absolutely i 'm glad i 'm glad we could schedule you so so tell us a little bit about your background i know you you 've been in sales for a long time and had a worn a bunch of hats. Tell us a little bit about what you 're bringing to this
1: Well, I was born on a cold day in September um, a, a few years ago um, i I think like like a lot of people got into selling reluctantly um, you know. Guys of a certain age, like myself, grew up in a time where salespeople weren't particularly trusted. It wasn't necessarily a badge of honor that you could wear that said, "Yes, I'm in sales and I'm proud of it." Right, and at least where I came from. And um, so, when I graduated from college with a degree in athletic medicine and went to work in a hospital, um, when when someone told me that I should get into sales for the first time, I, I looked at her and I said, "I don't. Are you?" I know you've sat next to me for the last three and a half years, but are you sure you know who you're talking to? Cause that does not sound like me. <laughs> um, so she said, look, I got you an interview. I think there's a position you could do really well at just, you got no reason not to take the interview, dust off your resume. And so I did. And given the unique circumstances, I, I actually gave an extended notice um, that I was leaving the hospital. Um, I had some time and I, and, and, I had some time but didn't really have a plan. I didn't know where I was going, but I knew it wasn't right for me to stay where I was anymore. And so I I took some time. And when it came down to getting the offer, two things happened. First of all, I I said, look, I can do this for a year. And if I hate it, I'll come back to doing what I'm doing right now because I'm good at that. And secondly, the manager who hired me said, Jeff, I know you don't know a lot about business. I don't care that you don't know a whole lot about business. You're a hard worker you speak the language. I was going into orthopedic sales. You know, he said, you speak the language, you're a hard worker, you're a good person. I can't teach that stuff. But I can teach you the business stuff. And I already talked to the people who would be your customers because they work with you right now. Um, They all told me unequivocally to hire you. I said, well, okay, let's give this a go. I almost made it a year and quit. And um, because a lot of circumstances that happened, it was a really tricky environment. I kind of felt lost. Didn't get the guidance that I needed. Um, I got all the guidance that my manager at the time could give me, but I didn't really get the guidance that I needed. And um, someone joined the organization who had a ton of experience. I had access to potential customers. He didn't. He knew how to sell. I didn't. So we ended up spending a lot of time together. And that was my training. And so for the next couple of years, I really learned how to sell. And once I knew how to sell, then I recognized some of the things that I didn't really like about my current position. So I took a new one. And then when I took a new one, I got to implement all the stuff that I felt was the right thing to do, but didn't really have, uh, really didn't feel like I could implement in my former job, put it into play and my territory, my revenue, my commissions, everything skyrocketed. And I recognized that by paying attention to my intuition, by recognizing what I knew was the right thing to be doing, and then actually giving myself permission to put that stuff into play, I was starting to be successful. And then seven plus years later, looking for a new opportunity, things got a little stale. There's only so much you can grow. And um, I kind of stumbled on this opportunity to be a coach and a trainer and a consultant. And uh, it turns out, Dan, that people like what I have to say. I'm still pinching myself when it comes to that, but uh, <laughs> people like what I have to say and, and they thank me for saying it. So I'm just going to keep doing that until they stop.
0: That is absolutely fantastic. I think you need to continue doing it. Not only do people (laughs) like what you say, but it's, it's extremely valuable content. So, so you, you talk about finding things out about yourself as a sales guy that helped you skyrocket commissions and exceed goals and probably delight a lot of various customers. What, what are some of those things that were kind of aha moments in your own selling career that, that catapulted
1: you? There are a few things that are really important in sales. And there are a lot of salespeople who spend a lot of time doing things other than those few things that are really, really important in sales. And when I recognized that and really just started focusing on the things that were important, the things that were going to move processes forward, I had a lot more success, go figure. But you get blinded by your own reality sometimes, or at least your perceived reality. Like, no, I have to take care of this customer. If I don't stop by this office, or if I don't make these calls, then I'm going to lose all the business. If I don't keep people happy, if I'm not the nicest guy in the world, then um, I'm going to lose this business. And people are so afraid to lose that they forget to move forward and grow. And I think there are a lot of territories out there that are flat to maybe down a little bit. And instead of, wringing your hands about, well, what can I do to get that 2% back? It's like, well, why don't you focus on growing? And it is amazing how many of those behaviors that are involved in growing your business proactively translate over to your current customers as well. But when you focus on what happens, and I believe that there are really four parts to the sales process, at least to the sales cycle. Everybody's process is going to be a little bit different, but the sales cycle has four important categories. Identify who you can help, get their attention, communicate your value, and ask for next steps. And that, those are, the, those are the, the steps of the sales cycle that I teach, train, and, and consult on. And if you need to know who you help best. And you need to know what, is going, what they're going to respond to, what kind of messaging they're going to respond to, what kind of value propositions are going to be helpful for them. And when you understand who you can help, you can go about getting their attention. That's prospecting. And then you have to communicate your value. Well, part of communicating value is one, understanding what is going to be valuable to them specifically. So that's discovery. And then maybe there's presentation in there, or maybe it's really just back and forth conversation with a transition in the middle that says, you know what? I, 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 I see what you're up against. I'm hearing what you're telling me. I think we can help. This is how. And I don't even know if that's much of a presentation, right? It's certainly not a pitch. And then what every sales rep needs to do that too few sales reps are doing is asking for the next step. Maybe that next step is, here's the contract, sign it. Maybe the next step is, can we get a PO for those orders? Maybe the next step is, hey, what do you think about this? You want some time to, you want some time to think about it? You want some time to confer with your colleagues? Why don't we schedule another meeting next week to reconnect? We'll both do some homework, and we'll see what makes sense to do next. But it's somewhere between 40 and 90% of salespeople are not asking for next steps, and these are people who only get paid when next steps get taken. Doesn't make hmm. any sense. doesn't make any sense to me. So if you can avoid ignoring one of those four steps in the sales cycle, if you can avoid ignoring all of them, really, if you can just focus on those four and build your calendar, build your activities, build your intentions around those four, It is unbelievable what could happen. I tripled my revenue on a third of the time in 18 months. That's a 9x return. You know, your results may vary, but I'm assuming they could be more than that. And um, if you're listening to this, think about how little time you spend in those four steps and how much time you spend doing other stuff that doesn't have anything to do with that, anything to do with those at all. That's where I was. And it took a good look in the mirror and actually a, a job change for, to, for me to give myself permission to implement these new strategies and in, in, in outlooks.
0: Too often from the, the people we speak with, it seems that the sales profession is spending a lot of time putting out fires, doing administrative tasks, running reporting, kind of a holistic approach that, that is not value added. It Mm -hmm. seems like you've narrowed it down specifically to four things that are each value added, focusing on the customer and focusing on how you can deliver for them. Well,
1: you need to put out fires, but are you preventing new fires from happening? Like, let's, let's talk about putting out fires, Dan. Does that mean calling a customer back and apologizing? Is that, is that putting out a fire or is it doing a little bit of discovery work to understand what caused the fire? Making sure that you can propose something to not allow that fire that same fire to start again and using that opportunity to deepen a relationship, maybe even expand on your relationship with that customer that's that's um, you know that 's firefighting in, in my opinion you know but mm-hmm. oh yeah sure we'll we'll return that product sorry about that oh yeah we 'll refund the 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 shipping fee or uh, you know whatever here's you know just throwing an additional discount at it later, come in with your tail between your legs and Um, saying you're sorry, like, look, sometimes that needs to happen. Sometimes that's all that needs to happen. But sometimes that's just the default. There's too many sales reps out there that are afraid of their customers. You can't be afraid of your customers. If you want to be successful in this business, you need to understand what you bring to the table, why it's so valuable, and that you have a value in that relationship. And when you can stand in that value firmly, you can handle situations much better. You can take the lead much more effectively and you establish yourself as someone even more valuable in the process than you were prior. And then you're not afraid of them. You're, you're, you're not afraid of what's going to happen because you know that if they move on, it's bad for them. Because you bring you to the table. You bring your company to the table and everything that you stand there with. And that is, look, sometimes fires are going to need to be put out. But don't tell me that a fire can't be an opportunity. And if you're spending too much time putting out fires, it means you're not effectively preventing them.
0: Hmm. yep that makes sense so so let's back up and and look at these four kind of in silos so the who who can you help piece this is under understanding who you should be talking to from your book right yes how do you how do you determine uh, i know let me preface this by saying i know you work with with a variety of businesses all different shapes and sizes different different products, of course, different industries. How, how do you work with organizations to help them and, and their sales teams to help them figure out who they need to be spending time with?
1: Well, uh, The five forgotten fundamentals that I talk about, number one is know what you bring to the table. And number two is know who you should be talking to. So the two of those um, really work in tandem in this first step of what I call the sales process. Okay. Or, or the sales cycle. And so when you know why you differentiate, when you know what you bring to the table and how it's separate from other people, you can, have, uh, you, you can solve problems differently than other people are solving them. That's important. Once you have that context, you can then identify who is going to appreciate the way you solve those problems, who can appreciate the way you solve those problems. And then it's about going and getting their attention from there. So you need to know what you bring to the table, why you're different, you also need to know why your best customers buy from you. And this is where I think a lot of salespeople, a lot of companies, a lot of marketing uh, departments go wrong. They make assumptions. If I asked hundred sales reps why their best customers buy from them, or why their best customers buy from them, five of them would be right because they would have asked. Another 15 are pretty intuitive. Um, and so they would guess right. 80 would be shocked to find the answer. They would guess something right off their marketing collateral, right off their, their website, and they would just re- go right to their features and benefits. Oh, well, because we've got the best product and because we do this and you know, whatever. And they would be shocked to find out that their customers buy for a very different reason. Very often it's because they make doing business with them easier. Very often it is because they solve problems in a very unique way. Uh, In a very holistic way that also helps solve other problems in the business. Um, Ask your best customers. If you're not asking, you're missing out. Because not only will it reinforce your relationship with your best customers to ask, to be vulnerable to go in and ask, but it will also give you the language to find more customers like them. And Dan, you and I know not every customer is a good customer. You and I have both had to fire customers before. And sometimes it's the best day of your week when you fire that customer. So not every customer is a good customer. So let's let's find more like our best customers. And your best customers will give you the language to find more like them. And they will be happy to see you find more like them because they really appreciate you. So that's what you have to do. You have to identify who you can help and how. Then you need to get their attention.
0: And so part of that is utilizing some of the verbiage that your best customers give you when you better understand how you can help them and what you bring to the table. You're going to learn, you're going to learn those words. What, what are, so, so getting their attention is also known as prospecting, right? You're, you're out there with a megaphone trying to, trying to get new prospects to look at, at what you can do and to, to have a discussion with you about, how you might be able to solve their problems.
1: Sometimes it's a megaphone. Sometimes it's a telephone. Sometimes it's, (laughs) sometimes it's a, it's an email message. Sometimes it's a tweet. Sometimes it's a, LinkedIn message right I mean there's a lot of yeah. ways to do this, but um, the the thing that I overlooked the most in my first sales job, particularly the last couple of years of my first sales job as the medical device industry was changing, there were new restrictions placed on physicians there were you know it wasn't as easy to just knock on the door and walk into the office and go say hi to doc right there would be you know, or there would be you know and twenty patients really mad at me and then met at him or her for, for letting me back there while they're waiting, you know, an hour behind their scheduled appointments. So what I had to do a lot of times, instead of even when I had access, right. Even when I could say hi to my customer, even when I could talk to my customer, they weren't always listening, Dan, they didn't have, they were dealing with nine things at the same time. And so the interruption, even though I felt like I made a sales call, even though I made a presentation, even though I asked for the next step, it, if they weren't giving me their attention, they didn't totally understand what they were agreeing to. And a lot of those sales processes would fall apart. So when I started recognizing that in an interruption, whether it, and, and I used to sell door to door. In medical sales, that's typically how it, how it happens. It's, you, you knock on the office door or you walk in the, the, the office, talk to the receptionist, see if you can speak to the, the physician or whoever's making the decisions. And when you walk in and you're in an interruption, the, the best way to do things, even if they'll say, Oh, I got a minute for you. Say, look, doc, I don't, I don't need a minute. I need five. You don't have five for me. I get that. When do you have five? Cause if they were willing to see you for that minute, they'll be willing now they'll be willing to see you for five minutes later. Right. And when mm-hmm. I started asking for appointments, even, I mean, and, and this feels like prolonging your sales process, right? Like, you know, like if you can, if they're right there, why don't you just make the proposal right there? the attention is a missing part. It's a key element to the sales equation. And if you don't have their attention, their undivided attention, you're going to have a hard time moving forward. So I would rather wait a week for five minutes than take two minutes right now. That fundamentally changed my
0: success rate. Boy, that's interesting. That's interesting. And it's counterintuitive to what a lot of salespeople think. A little bit, and, And back to your very first statement of, the perception of sales in industry. Mm-hmm. Many many people get that bad rap because if they're given sixty seconds, boy are they taking it. <laughs> and they're trying to cram as much information into those sixty seconds as humanly possible. I totally agree. So so tell me, okay, the, the medical the medical world is in and has been in many cases door-to-door, door, you're going office-to-office, hospital-to-hospital. Sure. How, how does that change um, by industry and with today's technologies? How, how do you see some of these things being over the phone? You mentioned LinkedIn earlier, postcards. There's a variety of ways, of course. Talk, talk us through some of the other modes that you can get somebody's attention.
1: Well, all politics are local, and... I think these principles, what I like about them anyway, is that, you know, these, these principles apply, whether you sell door to door, whether you sell on the phone, whether you sell with email, um, electronically or or otherwise, right? I mean, text messages, smoke signals, I don't care. The, the, The principles still apply. And I think if you... Um, understand that you have, a, you have to be someone worth talking to and you have to have something worth talking about. I really don't see um, a difference between your mode of communication, right? So understand the principles, right? Understand what needs to be done then you can decide the best way to do it. So if you're in a call center and you're just working the phones all the time as an SDR or you're working LinkedIn or you're working Twitter or you're working whatever it is, um, these principles still apply. I think what happens is we get too many people involved or tied up or hung up in, uh, well, I do it this way because this is what gong.io or whatever says is the best way for you know, people like me to do my job. Well, what does your experience tell you? Listen to those services out there. They gather a lot of data and they put together really um, really valuable insights. So I'm, I'm not rip and gong at all, um, but take their suggestions and then put them into play. See what works best for you. Think about what could work better for you. Don't just take mm-hmm. someone's just don't just take someone's advice verbatim. Don't take my advice verbatim, and and uh, and say, well, Bajoric said to do it this way, so I'm going to pound the phones, and then I'm going to do the email, and then I'm going to do Twitter or whatever. I that's one of the reasons I don't make those recommendations. What are we trying to do? What do we think is going to be the best way to do it? Let's try it. Let's learn. And then let's modify from there. But when when we get too tied up in we have to do it this way because this is the way I'm told people like us do these things, or I'm worried about selling to a thousand people at a time instead of the person that's right there in front of me. We miss the point. Scaling for scale's sake is, is pointless. But when we understand how we can make the person in front of us act, then we can understand why. And then we can understand why other people like them would act. So let's not try to automate everything. Let's not try to be so efficient before we really know what's going to be effective. And you know, so in terms of these communication methods, yeah, I sold door to door. The concepts that I sold door to door with work on LinkedIn too. And they work in my email marketing and they work on the telephone. It doesn't have anything to do with door to door. And what I'll tell you too is now with everything, you know, uh, going on, just with the, the ability to scale and the, um, the, the new technological tools that we have, and even some of the issues surrounding privacy in medical offices. There's a lot more being done over the phone there too, and these are the same people. So the, the times change, technology's changed, and um, we're learning a lot about adapting new technologies and evolving over time. So um, what worked for me in person can work for anybody through any
0: medium at all. And one of the things that we spend a lot of time thinking about is the not only you know what works for each individual sales rep. You're you're right. We can we can publish a study that says over 1.5 million instances of a cold call being delivered or a voicemail or LinkedIn message. This is the result. So when when targeting X Y Z industry, here's exactly what you should do. And that may be a a decent guide, right? It it could support at least a starting point for you, but it doesn't, it doesn't prove what's going to be successful for you as an individual sales rep. The second part to that is it also doesn't prove what will be successful for that individual customer. So one doctor that you walked in and and said, who said to you, I have a minute, go ahead. And you're, your response of well actually I need five but I'm here to try to get time on your schedule that would work probably for a lot of folks like that but if you walked in and they said you know what my appointment was just canceled and I was thinking about what the next purchase we were going to make in your space was I have 20 minutes do you want to sit down and ask me some questions I'm sure that changes your discussion Um, you have their attention right and too often I think large scale teams that are the SDR team to use your example are thinking statistically, right? If I have a hundred reps doing the same exact thing, we should yield this. but that doesn't work for every single customer. Some customers need to see that billboard. Some customers need to get that LinkedIn message. Other customers don't even have LinkedIn. So being able to find the customers where they are and to your core, your core tenant of getting their attention, How do you get that individual person's attention? And that will probably vary. So I would assume early into your genesis of, of this philosophy, you probably tried a thousand different approaches to see what felt right to you. Correct?
1: Yes. Because I was willing to fail. I was willing Mm -hmm. to learn. I think there's too many people trying to get the right answers to the test and worried about how well they score on the test rather than learning what the test covered. Right. If you worry about getting it right, right now, then, okay, you'll make the sale. Great. If you're only focused on this super, you know, narrow area and you're just trying to look, like, I don't care about anything on the fringes. I just want to get enough people who will respond to this right now so I can do this at scale. Well, okay, that's fine. Um, that is the kind of selling that AI can replace. That's the kind of salesperson that AI can replace. And I'm not a doomsayer. And when it comes to AI, I think it's been very helpful. And I don't think we've lost near the jobs that we were told we would five years ago by computers replacing us, right? Humans still buy from humans. They occasionally buy from robots. Um, And we can go down that wormhole at another time. But I think, you know, what are you out there to do? What are you out there to learn? How are you out there growing? Do you want to sell to just one, you want to sell one widget to one customer or one specific type of customer? Or do you want to learn how to sell? And there will be a role for someone who wants to sell a very specific way to a very specific person and eliminates everybody else on the side. And then there are a whole bunch of people who would have bought if the message or the technique weren't so specific. And I think a good salesperson, a great salesperson, pays attention to why they're missing the stuff on the sides and is able to adapt. And I think that salesperson has a whole lot more fun. I think that salesperson has a whole lot more success. And I think the, the, the person who's so hyper-specific, I think they get burned out really quick because they get bored because there's only so much money you can make. And it's actually really hard to make money that way. So Um, There are going to be counter examples. There's going to be people that, you know, write to you, Dan, or or follow up with you and say, Bajoric's lying. I'm that guy and I'm doing great. Look at my Lambo, right? And you know what? Good for you, dude. Um, To me, that's that's not fulfilling, right? So, you know, why are you selling and what are you trying to do? I like to relate to people. I like to solve problems. I like to creatively solve problems. The bigger, more creative problems I can solve, the more fun I'm having. And when I'm having fun, I also happen to be making money. And so that's how I approach it. I'm not saving up for a Lambo, right? Um, so it really depends on what your why is. And it really depends on why you're doing this in, in the first place. But um, you know, when you can work with people, when you can solve problems, um, I, I think there's, there's a lot of room for you in just about any business. And I think there is, and I got into this mini debate with someone once. Um, he said, you know, we need to stop telling each other that if you can sell one thing, You can sell anything. So, well, just because you sold for this company over here doesn't necessarily mean that you can switch jobs and go sell into another industry. Okay, so just because you've sold a lot of things before doesn't mean you can sell a lot of things for another company in another industry. However, if you know how to sell, then you can sell anything. If you know how to, you know, knowing how to sell is different than selling a lot of stuff. Yep. Okay. So that's the thing. Do you want to sell a lot of stuff or do you want to know how to sell? And if you want to sell a lot of stuff, there are very efficient ways for you to do that. If you want to know how to sell, you got to be willing to fail. You got to be willing to learn. You got to be willing to ask questions that you don't know the answers to. And so, yeah, there were, there were some times when someone would say, yeah, I have, I have a few minutes right now. No, I actually have those five minutes right now. Come on into the office. Well, you gotta be, you gotta be prepared for those opportunities but you can't expect those opportunities to happen. So there's your intention with that initial prospecting call. And then there's your readiness to handle just about anything. You know, one of the biggest problems that I've seen with SDRs and inside sales teams, well, SDRs more than inside sales teams, is when an SDR can't take an order from someone who wants to buy, that's a problem. Don't talk through the sale right? How many times have you seen sales reps talking through the sale, right? Like th- this person has been trying to give you their money for the last six minutes and you're on still talking about features and benefits and, you know, uh, installment plans and, and deferred payments and things like that. Just uh, do you want to buy now? Or like, mm-hmm. let me you, Right. So we forget what our job is when we silo things too much.
0: Yeah. Well, right. It's features, benefits, or You know what? Um, I need to actually get you over to somebody else to have this discussion and that person isn't free until tomorrow. So let's, can we figure that out? Can I put you on the calendar? Yeah. Companies, Companies build these barriers, right? Yeah. Or
1: I remember hearing, um, I remember hearing Morgan Ingram on Jeffrey Gittimer's podcast. This was a couple of years ago and Jeffrey I said, wait a second, if I call you or if you call me and I say, I love what you're saying, here's my credit card. You can't take my credit card right now? And Morgan was like, well, no, it's, we're not set up. We got to defer to the next day. He said, wait a second, my money is available to you right now. It may not be available to you tomorrow. Mm. You can't take that. And I think there always needs to be some kind of flexibility because, look, there's got to be someone at the ready who can run a credit card, right? There's got to be someone who can fill out the form. There's got to be someone, you know, who can, who can do that you know, so let's not be so rigid. Um, I was walking through a mall. I had time between, um, time before I had a late flight out of Chicago, um, recently I was walking through the mall and someone stopped me uh, for the humane society and I had nothing better to do. And I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. So I will listen to some of these sales pitches and see it. And this was actually very well executed. I, I knew what was coming. It was fine. And it just, it was very clever. So I, I gave this young lady credit. Um, but my wife and I support a lot of charities and I do a lot of work in particular for one. And so I, we are, we try to be really generous and we spread things around, but I'm not making major commitments to other charities other than the one that I support primarily. And uh, so they said, all right, well, so what we're trying to do, we do better when we do, you know, we can do more work and we can help more of these animals. If we have a monthly subscription, I said, okay, well, can I stop my monthly subscription after this installment? They said, well, no, you got to at least do two. I said, "Look, I'm going to give you twenty five dollars right now." Well, our minimum payment is twenty five dollars, but we've got to do a minimum of you know two months. And I said, "Fine, I'll give you, I'll give you ten dollars each of the next right now and next month too." So I even reduced my yeah. offering. And they said, "No, the the minimum order is is twenty five dollars, and then you can volunteer to go on later, log in, and opt out." And I said, "Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to do that." So I must not be your customer. They they actually. Because they did not have a mechanism to take my money, they lost my donation, and they uh-huh. told me what twenty-five dollars would do, right? Not as much as twenty-five dollars a month would do. I get that, but you mean to tell me my twenty-five bucks couldn't have saved some animals or fed some other ones or what? You know, whatever. You know, their their mission's a pretty good one. That to me doesn't make a whole hmm. lot of sense. Someone up the chain decided for them that that wasn't going to make sense for them. So that's that's how we ended it. But um, I just look, if someone's trying to buy from you, how easy do you make it? How frictionless do you make it? And if, if you've got to schedule another appointment for another day at another time with another person, I think that adds friction, and it's not
0: necessarily productive. You're certainly making it making it harder. Absolutely. So, so speaking of friction, I, I think that goes probably into – well, it's probably a different topic altogether, but I, I'm curious. I'm looking at your website right now, JeffBajorek.com, and Create Some Tension is one of the components of uh, – one of the tenets of your book. Yes. And I know that, that probably gets into communicating value. Um, tell tell us about that. I, I actually typically ask questions that I, I partially know the answers to. I don't know what Create Tension <laughs> means. What do you mean by that? <laughs>
1: um, creating Tension is – underscoring the difference between where your prospect is right now and where they could be if they worked with you. Tension is a stimulus to act. Okay. And some people for a long time have defined tension as pain and pain works. The problem with that is that you can go overboard and make everything painful. And now you're making your, your prospects potentially the wrong kind of uncomfortable. People buy hmm. really nice stuff because they want to feel good. It doesn't mean that they feel bad. Nobody buys a Rolex because they don't know what time it is. right? <laughs> so right. No, nobody, nobody buys a Bentley because they have a commute. right? There, there are reasons that people buy things that don't have any uh, relation to how painful their situation is. But there's a story to be told. And your difference underscores the story that you can tell to the right person who will resonate with that story about how much better off they could be in accordance with their goals, their desires, their dreams, their desired future state. And you have the ability to show them how to get there. When you underscore that you know something that they don't know, but they would be better off for knowing. And it becomes apparent that you are someone worth talking to with something worth talking about that will help them achieve those goals. Now, if I'm that prospect, I start thinking, hmm, I don't know at all. This person knows something I don't know. They may be able to help me move forward. That's tension. And, Hmm. And that stimulus to start thinking about things that may help them move forward, that stimulus to act, I call that tension. I love talking about this because um, people immediately, they go to, you know, old uh, used car salesman kind of mode. Like, well, wait, you know, you know, manipulation and, and things like that. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about making anybody sorry that they didn't buy. I'm not trying to make anybody sorry that they bought. I'm trying to help people understand that there needs to be some sort of productive tension in that, in the early stage. There are stages states of that relationship in order to get people to think about moving. They got to think about acting. And then when they're thinking about acting, you can nudge them to act. You can say, hey, look, I think we can help you. And I don't know if you know for sure if we can help you. And quite frankly, I don't know if I know for sure if we can help you. But I think it deserves another conversation. What's your schedule look like a week from now? Why don't we get together? Why don't we reopen this conversation? I'm going to send you some resources I want you to take a look at. I've been taking notes during our conversation here. I want to, you know, kind of meditate on these, marinate, let these, these ideas marinate and, and see if I can make sure that we are the fit that I think we are. Why don't we reconnect in a week and talk about that? And now you're taking control of the sales process. Now you're demonstrating your expertise. Now you're making your prospect feel as if you are in control, which is a good feeling. If we're going into uncharted waters, I want someone who's been there before. I want someone to make me feel good about my safety moving forward in a sales process. Because that perceived perceived risk, that lack of known safety in a sales process is what holds a lot of sales processes up.
0: So you, you mentioned earlier the conversation you had with a friend recently about if you can sell, if you've demonstrated success in sales, it's, he said, I believe it's difficult to translate that into another industry. And your stake um, was that if you, if you know sales and you're an expert in sales, you can sell anything. Yes. How, how does expertise, because there are two different sides to expertise and maybe more, but the two that I see clearly are expertise in, in sales and all things around that, right? Understanding people, understanding, being able to communicate, getting their attention, mm-hmm. knowing your product, all of, these, all of these components. And then there's naturally the industry and the product knowledge. Back in your medical device days, I'm sure much of what you spent time on was that specific product. How how do you marry those two or or I don't know I don't even know the question as you're working with your clients today, how do you help them become experts in what they're doing?
1: Most times they are experts in what they do, and I, I think they they look at expertise the wrong way. Um, look, if you know your product and you know how it's used, um, that's one thing. That's one level of expertise. You need to be uh, you need to have enough expertise to know where your product is applicable or your service is applicable mm-hmm. um, but the real expertise is understanding the situations that your prospect is up against so that you can speak to their issues with knowledge of their issues with you know make them feel as if you understand them because you do don't just make them feel as if they uh, as if you understand them let them know let them believe that you understand them because uh, maybe you're not in their shoes, you can't relate to them directly, but you've seen other customers like them you know, in these situations before. And so when you can marry your product knowledge with your problem knowledge, well, mm. now they feel safe. Now they feel like you have been where they are now. You've been there before, you've made it out alive, and you've seen the other side. You can help them get there too because they don't like where they're at right now. Or maybe they like where they're going, but they're not really interested in the in the the, the discomfort of a learning curve, right? There's always a learning curve every time you need a change. Even if you're going someplace that you really want to go, you gotta get in the car to get there. Right? Sure. I mean, you're from the Midwest. Did you ever drive to Disney World when you were a kid? <laughs> right?
0: Uh, well I went to I went to college in Tampa. I drove there, so well, it kind of you know. counts, but but yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean there's those road trips, right? I actually might I had cousins that drove did the the whole overnight thing to florida i've got friends who do that with their kids now i just i would just as soon get on a plane and that was one of the reasons we didn't really do that and and the one time we did that when i was a kid it took like four days to get down there because we had stops along the way so it wasn't terrible but you know you wanted to get to college you had to drive to get there that was three days two days right maybe if you were crazy you did an all-nighter and you know probably wasn't as safe as we'd like to admit it but you know there's there's even when you're doing something you really want to do, there's a, a learning curve or a process involved that's not always comfortable. So it's nice to know that someone's done it before, that someone's been there before, that someone will stand behind you along the way, point out the things that you're not gonna see, and help you get to where you need to be. And that's what B2B sailing is, that's what problem solving is, and that's what makes people good, you know, feel good about working with you.
0: So, so Boy, several questions about that. Uh, it's very interesting. I've never heard. Have you used the term "problem knowledge" before?
1: Um, no, actually, that was live stream of thought. Bajor- yeah, inside Bejorik's brain, right there.
0: You you've heard it here first, folks. And, you can say uh, that, yes. I, I, <laughs> I promise. Yeah, finally. All right. <laughs> now that that's interesting because product knowledge is what it is. It's understanding the application. The features and benefits of something, the, the frequently asked questions. I'm, I'm picturing myself in your former career in a doctor's office. Every, every doctor that you or like professionals would sell to, they know you're not a doctor. They know that, frankly, they're going to have to do the research too. <laughs> Whatever you say, fine, but I'm going to have to go back and probably read the white paper. But if you're able to rattle off use cases of other doctors and what they've told you and how they've found their um, attention to be eased because of what you're doing. I assume that not only helps to build trust, confidence, but also they're willing to, to partner up on that journey. If you're able to share those stories.
1: That's what it's all about. That's fantastic.
0: So, so concluding the four stages of your sales cycle, then you get to what could be the most basic and obvious, but you mentioned earlier and and so many very um, well-respected people talk about not asking for business. How, what have you, what have you seen? Why is that even a problem?
1: People are afraid. Um, I think when you're looking at, so many salespeople who are trying to say the right thing to the right person at the right time in order to have something happen or in order to make something happen. Um, So rarely does that actually happen. And so they know they need to ask for the business, but they don't really know how. And there's just so much misinformation out there about how to close sales. My favorite closing question ever has been, always been, so what's the next step? Ask your customer. What does it make sense to do next year? And then I read um, a book by a guy who's really a, a friend of mine now. His name is James Muir. He wrote a book called The Perfect Close, And his, he takes that, um, that concept a little bit further. And he actually suggests a next step and asks them if it makes sense to take it, which is brilliant. Because they'll either say yeah. yes, which means you get to move forward, or they'll say no, which means, huh, that's funny. I thought you'd have, I, I thought you would have liked that suggestion. Well, then what does make sense? Now, there's no manipulation. There's no arm twisting. No one's painting anybody into a corner. We got no buyer's remorse here. You're allowing the customer, your prospect, your buyer to work through their buying process at their own pace while not slowing up your sales process, because those are two different things. And I think the biggest misconception as we go to, as we've we've come through really the last five, six, seven years of inbound marketing and let the buyer decide. And they've made so much of their decision before they've even called you. Now that's garbage. Look, if they knew everything they needed to know, they wouldn't need you at all. don't need you to place Mm -hmm. orders. Right. So they need some guidance. They need some expertise. Right. So their process is their buying process is different than your, their than your sales process, but they're going to meet, they're going to line up in in some ways. So allow them to go through their process because you can't speed yours up, but you can avoid slowing their process down by not knowing what your next step is. Ask them what the next step is. Ask them what they feel, not even what they feel comfortable doing, but Hey, look, I think this is what we should do next. What do you think? And now you're showing a little vulnerability. You're still taking control because you're nudging that a next step should happen. You're not just leaving this lie here and you're not getting caught up following up. I think 85% of the time you shouldn't need to follow up because you should ask for a next step and you should have it scheduled. 15% of the time, something's going to happen. Your meeting's going to run long. Uh, You're not going to have a, you you know, there's going to be an interruption. There's going to be an emergency. There's Something's going to happen and you're just not going to be able to, you know, define and schedule those next steps. But 85% of the time, you should have something scheduled. Your product is open. I'm sorry. Your prospect is open and in front of you. Your calendar should be too. So, identify when you're going to touch base again. So you don't have to call and ask to touch base, right? No one likes having their base touched. Just have something worth talking about every time you talk to them and make sure they know when to expect to hear from you again. Things move a lot more smoothly. And when you let them control what that next step looks like, nobody feels icky at the end.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the beginning and end of the process seem to be and, and not to not to discount the middle of the process, but I'm seeing two major similarities between getting their attention and asking for their business, asking for next steps, which is you're, you're making suggestions, you're the expert in the process and what you do, but you're also allowing them to participate, which I think is extremely important as not everybody is exactly the same. And you can't make these assumptions without letting them um, buy in as well
1: the buyer seller relationship should be a partnership
0: wherever possible. Yep.
1: That means you got uh, to have, have involvement from both sides. So, yeah. And they're the ones with the money. So we should let them be. Involved.
0: <laughs> I have my credit card. Why won't you take it? <laughs> like, please. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. So 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 speaking of partnerships and figuring out how to how to get you credit cards, tell us about Tell us a little about your business and and how people can find you
1: um, I help sales organizations perform better that that 's what I do. Um, I do lots of different things for different clients. I mean, sometimes I need to speak for them. Sometimes I need to speak to them. Sometimes I need to coach. Sometimes I need to do some training, but I like solving problems. My consulting business is really an extension of my sales business or an extension of my sales career. It's kind of an evolution of it. I'm just solving problems at a different level. Um, So Hmm. sometimes that means I've got to go on sales calls with clients. Sometimes it means that I just need to help them get ready for their calls. Sometimes it means I need to coach them through different uh, situations and sometimes I'm sitting with leadership, helping them understand what the next organizational move is to make. So it's kind of a fun, kind of undefined, really interesting job that I've created for myself. So, um, but I, I, you know, my, my trademark is rethink the way you sell because when you remove the mental processes from selling, when you ignore the opportunities to learn, you miss out on a lot. So I help companies rethink the way they sell. And you can find me at jeffbajorek.com. Um, I've got a podcast too. It's called The Why and the Buy. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. We're everywhere. And, um, and you can reach me too, jb at um, Send me an email. I'll respond because that's what I do.
0: That is fantastic. Well, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I look forward to hearing more of your podcast episodes and, and also catching up in the future to, to see what's changed and, and what has simply stayed the same because your message is right on point. I, I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing um, simple yet super impactful suggestions for us.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Dan. It's weird. I feel like I'm out of breath. I don't normally talk this much. <laughs> normally, I'm, in, I'm asking a lot more questions and listening to answers. So um, yeah, no, this was, this was fun. Thanks again for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Have a great day. You too.